Hello and welcome to Dowdy, the podcast where me, Mariana Feijó, talk to my guests about the concept of bravery, or braveness, even just the moments where folks have been slightly out of their comfort zones. This week I was brave because I did a 12-hour stream. Full disclosure, it wasn't all me. It was a team of people behind the 12-hour stream. I didn't even have the biggest role in getting it to happen. Someone else was programming it, someone else was at the helm of the stream. But I sat down for 12 hours <laughs> monitoring the chat and doing all the social media and still had like a little bit of one of the segments. I participated in one of the segments. But maybe more brave than all of that, that day, after the stream ended at 10 p.m., I went out for a walk. I didn't go for a walk by myself. I had a friend keeping me company. But from leaving the house to meeting my friend, I went by some scary situations that would have made me turn back and go back home if it weren't for the fact that I was meeting my friend who also felt very unsafe walking at night in the canal, which he did. I didn't. I will never walk on a Saturday night in the middle of a global pandemic in an empty Regents Canal. It was also cool to edit this podcast, which I recorded back in December, apparently a week after my birthday, and see some of the things that have, that have changed at some point. I say I... I'm thinking about therapy, but it's hard because, 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 and I am doing therapy now. It's, I'm not sure if I've figured it out yet. I think I need to fine tune it. But funnier than that is that I mentioned a message I got from someone uh, on my birthday saying, take care of your knees. And I fucked up my knee <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. So, you know. There's things that are sim that sound prophetical. As for today's episode, it starts as it always does, with my guest, Minder Karatwal, introducing herself. Hi, my name is Minder Karatwal, and I am from Nottingham. I'm 32 years old. I'm British Indian, and I have a lot of strengths to my bow. I am an improviser. I have a background in marketing and event planning. I run workshops for people who want to build skills for life and business. Yeah, without going into my entire CV, I think that's me. That's like, as you say, you have a lot of strings to your bow, so that's enough. <laughs> you need to come up with new things. <laughs> I'm, good, yes. I'm good enough. Yeah, it's because I was people who like, you need to have your elevator picture, you need to have your like, headlines and things. I'm like, mine always change depending on who I'm speaking to. It's me, but it's just slightly different versions of me. Then you've like you've mastered your elevator pitch for whoever is in the elevator with you. So yeah, that's what you yeah, want. Yeah, right? kind of. Except usually when people go, "What do you do?" If I haven't come in with a pre-planned, "Oh, this is what I want to achieve out of this conversation," that's when my eyes sort of go wide and I panic, and I'm like, "Oh God, which version of myself do I give yeah. over?" The way I problem solve that is just by saying, "I have a lot of strings to my bow." And then trying to just throw out a few and being like, they'll be interested in one of these. Yeah. Uh, how would you define bravery? Uh, well, I did the thing which I'm sure everyone does on this podcast is I Googled this very quickly before I came on. And um, I didn't I didn't fully identify with the definition because I was like, I'm not sure I'm brave. But then I kind of looked into it a little bit more and it used the word courageous, putting yourself in 
uncomfortable situations or uh, dealing with uncertainty and I was like oh that's yeah that I relate to that I connect with so for me I guess as I delved deeper I connected bravery to getting out of my comfort zone and dealing with uncertainty yeah I'm, push- I'm putting myself out there anyway Yeah, I usually uh, (laughs) tell people to think of moments where they have been brave or at least out of their comfort zone because that's, I think, easier to find moments where you've been out of your comfort zone than moments where you've been brave when you're thinking of the the dictionary definition of brave, which I think puts it in like a different spot. Someone pointed out, I chose the name of the podcast by looking into synonyms for brave and I found this word no one ever uses, but it's like an English word that's gone out of use and the definition of dowdy is brave or persistent and i think persistency is also a form Ah, of bravery which i find interesting definitely oh i found that if you want a slick line for what i think bravery is it's feeling the fear and doing it anyway yes which brings us to the next question which is when have you felt fear and done it anyway were there moments in your life that you want to share with the listeners in which you have been brave? Yeah, I guess a few different points. I've dealt with anxiety for many, many years. And so I guess you could say I feel the fear constantly and getting through that even on a day-to-day basis, I think can be pretty brave. So uh, yeah, I've been doing quite well, but I guess there's a few points that stand out. One of them would have been about, I think it was six years ago now, I my anxiety got really bad. And I started having panic attacks and I just had to stop everything I was doing. I had to stop the postgrad course I was doing. I had to stop working. I had to move back home and just kind of pause everything. I was in a very fortunate position that I could move back home and just stop. But I just couldn't function and everything was just causing me anxiety. It was really strange. And what was really odd is I was not very good at being alone, which normally I love I'm great in lockdown I love being by myself and being in the sitting at home and not feeling the pressure to do anything and uh, all of a sudden being at home I just would get really really anxious and nervous and feel like I needed to be around people which was tough because I'd moved back to my home city and my friends were all in different places they weren't around so that was really difficult and I used to find going to bed the worst and I, I think quite a few people with anxiety can relate to this but for me it just got ramped up so I'd get really nervous and I'd have to try and find ways around it but I got through it, I overcame it. I ended up just finding things that were right for me. So I start, that's when I started improv. I used to go to mindfulness sessions on a Thursday evening and fall asleep constantly during the meditation bits. But you know one of those things where you're like, I'm going to this because I know it's good for me. Yeah. I don't but I don't love it. I have to force myself to go. I fall asleep while I'm there, but I know it's doing me some good. Uh, so I would go and do that. And then I found improv comedy and I kind of replaced it with that because to me it's sort of similar in the sense that you have to be present and mindful you can't your brain can't go to anywhere else and start thinking about all the things that make you anxious because you have to deal with what's right in front of you so I did that I found lots of um, new friends in Nottingham I started connecting with people I went to a networking event where I stood up and just spoke about myself and essentially pitched myself. Everybody else was pitching businesses or opportunities or or jobs and stuff. And I just went and pitched myself and it worked. I got offered what was probably the perfect role for me at the time, working for uh, an SME, working for a female boss, which is exactly what I was looking for, doing something that combined creativity with business. And yeah, I eventually, the, the panic attack stopped, I slowed down and I was happy again. 
so for me that was I keep I look back on that quite a lot I never want to be in that place again and it does scare me a little bit but knowing I got through it means that now whenever I feel that kind of things you know any level of anxiety again I'm like well you know what I've dealt with it at its worst yeah and I survived not only did I survive I guess I thrived I came out of it much better yeah that's I think is the there's probably a few cases but that's one that really stands out to me yeah the the idea that you can get out of those moments of those bottoms right it's, it was technically a bottom yeah it's really nice and I've actually never thought about improv as a kind of meditation because I I've done like proper meditation sessions a mm -hmm. couple of times, three times within yoga classes, but they do like, I've done like gong meditation stuff and I always feel silly in those moments. And also the gong, the gong meditation one was the best one because I was just focusing on the sound, which made me focus on something, which helped, mm. but I did fall asleep. So an improv that doesn't happen. I never fell asleep while doing improv. Yeah, I think for me it's just your you're fully connecting and being fully present and so often even in conversations and I'm sure it will happen to me during uh this podcast recording is my mind sort of drifts separately to where my conversation is going and it's not that I'm not interested it's just my brain is so busy and full of ideas whereas an improv I'm, I'm more focused because there's an audience right there in front of me and I'm having to really pay attention and focus on the person opposite me and what they're saying and, and reacting to them and yeah because mindfulness you can do all kinds of stuff there's like mindful walking and mindful cooking and all these kinds of things so why not mindful improv yeah and it's it is like a thing that is built if you do it with that in mind that you have to listen and react to the other person it is built in the practice to be present and reactive so yeah, yeah. i was going to say so because you, you mentioned persistence yeah earlier and i just yeah that really certainly because i think that is how i got out of the rock bottom was just this is a problem I'm going to keep big trying things until I figure out a way out of it and one way or another something is going to work so improv was one of those things it wasn't the only thing you know there was therapy there was connecting with people doing lots of things to keep my brain active and finding opportunities and I think that's probably something quite proud of actually my persistence and just like well it doesn't matter how bad things get or how frustrated I am with something I will keep going until I figure a way out of it. You've also mentioned uh, going to bed being one of the worst times of the day for someone with anxiety. I think it's split. I think I, I'm not a professional on this, but I recently heard some people it kind of can be one or the other. It can be waking up or okay. going to bed. But yeah, my experience was going to bed. And what is it in going to bed? I, I have been told I have like mild anxiety. I hate going to I don't hate going to bed. I really like going to bed, but my brain goes like on a on a run of, run of its own, and I just like either I either take a long time to fall asleep because I'm in my brain, or mm. I just watch stuff so I'm not in my brain, yeah. and then yeah. fall asleep really late because I'm just watching stuff. So both things are bad, I guess. Or I should find tools to get out of both things because none of it is bad right it's just the way your brain works yeah and if it, i mean if it works for you great but if you want to change it yeah or if it's not serving you then yeah is that what going to bed was for you was that uh... i think it was for me it was i guess it's the point where you're finally alone with your thoughts and you can't use anything to distract mm -hmm. yourself with so during the day you can be you can be scrolling online you can be moving you can be somewhere else you can actively do things in the evenings that's the point where 
you have to face your own brain basically you can't avoid it anymore and it can be very lonely I guess because you know well if you're single so yeah it was a point where I was like it's just me I'm alone with my thoughts and my thoughts happen to be very anxiety inducing right now although I did realize at some point and I don't know if this is the thing that helped kick me out of the anxiety or the anxiety at that level or if it was just all part of the process and um I was afraid of being afraid basically I started becoming afraid of having panic attacks and it became a Mm self-fulfilling cycle really so once I snapped out of that that really helped but yeah I think it was the it's the being alone with your thoughts and then also thinking about the things you potentially haven't achieved with your day all the things you wanted to do and all the things you feel that you should have done and it then just builds up so a combination of those things but I got one of the ways I try and deal with it I'm still really bad with for having regular sleep patterns and going to bed at a normal time, but I'm working on it. But one of the ways I got around is I used to listen to, um, before I got into podcasts, I used to put QI mm-hmm. on my iPad because it's one of those shows you can, you don't need your eyes open. You don't need to give it your full attention, but it's enough to focus on so you're not just there alone with your thoughts. So I used to listen to that and then I started listening to a couple of podcasts and now I listen to audio books and it's enough of a distraction where I'm not stressing that it's, not so big that I'm you can't basically you can't listen to anything that's so exciting that it stops you from falling asleep I've tried like animal sounds before I have like a google home and it just suggested that it could help me sleep and I said sure do it and cricket started sounding in my room and I just became really anxious because one of the things that is like one of my fears from like a documentary I've watched once as a kid is that those kinds of animals, crickets or cockroaches, can get in your ear while you're asleep oh. and lay eggs. And so, yeah, I was just like, no, yeah. there's crickets in my room. This has to, <laughs> to stop. This is not like the, the thing it's Google like, thinks it is. <laughs> it's like when people, yeah, it's supposedly a relaxing thing and then it backfires. I once tried, I couldn't sleep once and I tried doing a, um, it was like a guided meditation type thing. And uh, one of the things they get you to do is to tense up your muscles. So, like, you go, like up your body so you, well yeah I think it's like your body you, you kind of lie there for a bit do some deep breathing and then you're meant to like tense up your toes and then feel it in your legs and go all the way up and then I think I got to around my shoulders or something and so I was like all right I'm gonna tense up and then like then you let go and then as I let go I just felt this like spasm and I just ended up like shooting out of bed because I was just in pain I was like I've just caused myself an injury by meditating <laughs> who does that and uh so I've always been a bit afraid I was like do you know what I'll just stick with the audio books yeah. <laughs> I've turned 35 last week and one of the first messages I got was I like out of context out of nowhere take care of your knees and I guess I should also have got got one that said be careful how you meditate (laughs) (laughs) meditate yeah health and safety risk they don't tell you about it but yeah I was awake then for hours I was like I've just caused myself an injury on the other side of the scale were there moments in your life in which you haven't done something for fear or lack of bravery? Oh yeah, constantly on a daily basis. <laughs> it's always not necessarily, I haven't done it, I just haven't done them yet, I think. I this year learned that I most definitely have imposter syndrome and one of the ways that manifests for me is uh, avoidance and putting things off. So I'm constantly having ideas and great ideas and sharing them. People go, that's a great thing, you should do that. But actually then taking the action to make those things happen is much harder. And I guess a lot of it is fear of failure. 
and as someone who well you know a lot of people have got a fear of failure it's that sort of thing of going well and it's not even a, a conscious thing i'm doing i've just learned that it's the way my brain is wired so this is the the pattern that happens unconsciously which means i go well if i don't start or i don't do this thing then i can't fail it mm-hmm. you can't fail if you don't actually give it a go and so i think just throughout life i put off things or i procrastinate on things and my own business and stuff like that and new ideas because of that fear or the fear of it's not going to be perfect which logically i know you know it's never going to be it's very rare something will be perfect the first time you give it a go but my brain is wired that way and trying to undo the wiring it's a long process yes for sure i think that's like one of my biggest things as well like when i was younger i definitely didn't do stuff because of it and the fear of it not being perfect is i think the biggest one uh so now i tell myself a lot out loud just do it if it's not perfect the next thing will be perfect uh if 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 you fail you're just learning i'm saying that to myself like almost every day and i guess it helps yeah i think just having i've got i think sometimes unrealistic expectations of myself and just try it's just trying to get over myself basically get out of my own way and just do the thing. One of the ways I try and do that is I tell people about things. So I have this idea, I share it, but then I say, you know, I'm going to do it, or I've got this plan to do this thing. And it kind of means you're held accountable because people then will come and ask you about it. I've been doing a few talks and workshops on imposter syndrome, but on a sort of a lower level. And I told somebody about this and they said, great, we'll book you in. And if you want to do a longer version, here's a date. Does that work for you? And all of a sudden it's like, okay, so now I have to make this happen because this person has asked me to do something and I've agreed and so I can no longer keep putting it off because that's it now there'll be consequences whereas if you don't share things with people or you you don't have those um like deadlines and things in place you can push it off to the side by just saying I'll get around to it I'll figure out there's no pressure yeah I need a bit of external pressure and a bit of because sometimes that fear can it pushes you to do better things right it's getting the balance between um motivation and sort of the paralysis that anxiety can cause and finding the middle ground yeah i think self-accountability is really hard right because you're not you're not a good boss to yourself when there's like a boss figure or partner figure someone you work with you have to show work to someone else it's it yeah jolts you into action i always sort of joke and say that um I basically am an instant gratification monkey in the sense that if whatever makes me happy in the moment, I will choose that over what future Minda would appreciate because I'm just really bad at sort of long-term, yeah, sacrificing momentary joy for long-term goals because I'm just all about the here and the now, which sometimes can be good, but often for things like if it's, uh, I'm trying to learn and get better. As I get older, I'm very much just like, I can't eat donuts every day. Um, not only will I not fit into my jeans, I it's health and I'm getting older or um, yeah, working on projects and things like that. It's like, well, I may not see the payoff right now, but I know at some point I will, but I'm not very good at it. It's like the little kids, right? You know, that experiment when you said- tell- Oh, with the marshmallow yeah. or the sweets. You can get more if you wait, if you don't eat, eat this one. No, I have to eat so, this one now. Yeah, I'd be really bad at that because I grew up in a, a corner shop, basically. That's what my parents did um, or still do. And there were just sweets and chocolates all around. And I th- I'm blaming my parents, basically. I'm refusing to take responsibility on this. They did not restrict me as much as they should. I was fueled by sugar as a child. And 
So I feel like if they tried to do that experiment on me, I'd just be an annoying brat and just be like, well, I'll just go get it from my mum then. <laughs> I, yeah, I would have just, I'd have taken the sweets and I've got, it's fine because I've got more at home. Um, I have a, a an unending uh, well of sweets. <laughs> That's like any yeah, kid's dream, it, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, I still probably don't fully understand how weird it is, but I do remember it's all my life. So you just go into the shop and just grab whatever you want and you can have sweets. And I'm like, yeah. The only time anything was ever said was, this wasn't even that long ago. My dad told me that I had to stop eating the Bounty ice cream because I was eating so many, it was putting him out of business. <laughs> He's losing money. Yeah, I think it's also how you relate to consequence as well. I think growing up, if you don't learn and practice failing, you're going to struggle a lot as an adult. And it explains why my brain is wired the way I am. Is as a child, I was really good at school. Like I found it really easy. I didn't have to work. And, you know, I am fairly intelligent, but not like, you know, there's nothing weird about me it just so happens my brain is really suited to the way the curriculum was set up and the way they test kids but it meant that I never really got to understand what failing was and so my brain then became just accustomed to like well you should find things easy this is how things work you get given a task or you have something to achieve it's put in front of you and you just do it as I got older and life gets more difficult I didn't really have those structures in place or the practice or failing or having to work towards something and so when things got harder I just sort of that's where the anxiety kicked in because it was like this isn't how it used to be this isn't what I'm used to it's one of those things it's like where something someone else might find really easy is really difficult or requires bravery for other people yeah I feel the same about like my experience as growing up school was also easy for me I got good grades without having I just did the homework I didn't study apart mm. from doing homework yeah and so if you don't feel the negative consequences it's like you know oh if you don't study you won't pass your exam I was like well I didn't really study yeah. and I still passed the exam so your brain doesn't learn that there are consequences to not putting that yeah. work in and like I, I know that growing up I thought because I had like friends whose parents would make them like take time to study so from this time to this time you're studying from and then like you can watch one hour of tv or whatever and my mm. parents never did that to me and like i did well in school and i always thought oh poor kids their parents are making them do so much work and maybe <laughs> yeah, they're doing the better now in life. yeah like, there's just certain things where i'm like i know all of the logic and for work and things like that, I've had to write blog posts about how to overcome procrastination and how to structure your day and all of these things. And I know all of the theory, but applying it is different when it, because it's not just the processes and the structures, it's the psychological side as well. And that's a lot harder to change. But yeah, I used to stay up late and then just write essays last minute and, and I still do it. And it's one of those things where I kind of, there's never been anything that's happened that's bad enough that's had enough of an impact yeah and it's almost like sometimes when you're rewarded for that so it's the thing of well I got I got a good grade and I didn't have to study much that feels quite good actually and I thought maybe I would have it when I took my driving theory test haven't got around to taking my actual test yet but I, I had my theory test booked and I hadn't done read through the oh god I can't remember what it's called the, the highway code guide yeah. whatever it is and um, I was like oh do you know what this will be the time that I learn my lesson because I paid for this thing I'm now going to do a test. I don't, you know, I don't want to fail it, but I'm not prepared. So do you know what? Now I will face my consequence and maybe I'll learn my lesson. And I went and I passed it and I was just like, this is not, I, I must be the only person that's ever walked out of that test when they said you've passed and gone, I don't think this is right. This isn't okay. People like me should not be allowed out on the roads. And then I told my boss who is uh, American and she had to, she'd been here a certain amount of time. So she had to take the test here. 
And I said to her, oh, it's fine. I didn't even prepare for it. It's fine. You can just, it's really straightforward. And then she failed it. And I had to sort of backtrack and just sort of be like, oh, well, I suppose you've learned a different way. And that's hard. I don't know. I've, I've realized I've not shown up for exams, but I've never failed anything. Yeah. That's how far my avoidance goes where I just go, do you know what, I'll just do this as a retake at some point in the future to avoid failure. Recently I wrote something for an online zine and they had like the deadline was midnight and I wrote it 20 minutes before the deadline was just rushing it. And I was like, oh, do you know what, I've disappointed myself now. Maybe if I'd put some work in, it would be really good. But they accepted it, they liked it. And it's just one of those things where you're like, no, this is not teaching me the lesson that I know I need to learn. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't have this in everything in my life. Not everything goes great just because I've left it to the last minute. But there are certain points where I go, this is the point at which I will learn my lesson. And then you're sabotaging yourself on purpose. So you learn a lesson and you keep not learning it because you just exactly. succeed. Exactly. It's just, it's just really, yeah, it's really weird. And the more I'm thinking about it now, I'm just like, wait, hang on. Maybe does this work for me? Maybe this is what I should be doing. I don't know. I'm just very confused. <laughs> I don't understand what lesson the universe is trying to teach me in this. Although I suppose it's a sign of just, I wrote it in 20 minutes. I didn't have time to overthink it. So maybe it's just, just do it. Just do the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that was a lesson. I don't know. Is the driver's testing multiple choice here? Yeah. There's like a multiple choice thing. And then the end bit is like a hazard perception test where it's like playing a very old fashioned video game or something where you have to click buttons every time you see a hazard appear on the road. Oh, that's fancy even if you say it's an old-fashioned thing because well i don't know if anything was upgraded since i did my theory test i was 18 so it's been a while almost 20 years it hasn't been 20 years but almost but we didn't have the perception test thing only like the, the multiple choice yeah well my my hazard perception i either scored really high or i scored really low because if you click the button too many times they um they kind of take points off because That's one, it's cheating, and two, it just doesn't work. You have to click at the accurate yeah. points. But what was happening there is it basically just means I'm very cautious. I'm terrified when I'm driving. There you go. That was another way I sort of overcame something unexpressed bravery. It's like driving terrifies me. So when I started having lessons, just the stress, I nearly went into like a wall at one point. That was not fun. Um, but my instructor said, it's fine, because I can guarantee you won't do that again. And I was like, how do you know? Because <laughs> I had the first time I've had lessons, it was quite late on in my life. And I was always told that it's better to take it when you're younger. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm older, so I'm more aware of my yeah. mortality and everybody else's. But like, this thing is insane. This is like a big metal can that can kill people. And, you know, why are you letting somebody like me? Be responsible for my life and other like i'm not responsible for myself why would you allow me to do this but apparently it's legal same thing same thing with having kids i don't have a child but i find it absolutely insane that i legally can have one yeah like all i'd have to do is prove that i've got like a car seat to take them home in and that's that is totally totally scary because sometimes i don't know if i can take care of myself so yeah if i had like a baby <laughs> Adulting. Adulting scares me. That's an element of life I've not. That's the whole side of bravery I've not been able to deal with just yet. Yeah. So I'll just I'll just limit the number of adult decisions I have yes. to make in my life. I, I think I did say this before in the podcast, but I, again, learned how to drive when I was 18 and it never scared me. And I sometimes think of the car, even though I know people have accidents that are fatal. Uh, and that uh, metal box we're in is not like yeah. always safe but I feel like it's like 
a safety box because you may be driving fast around other cars, like if you're in a highway, but you're somewhat protected. What I'm trying to say is that I'm very afraid of cycling in traffic because uh, it's, my body is there <laughs> very easily uh, reached by yeah. a bigger transport. Maybe mode. that's one way of feeling if you're eating. Do something that scares you so much that the thing you actually need to achieve no longer yeah, uh, no longer seems like a big deal. There was this show on Portuguese TV and many times the shows on Portuguese TV are inspired by shows that exist in the UK or in America. So there may be, have been a version of it here. I can't remember what it was called, but people do things they had phobias of. Okay. And there's this very iconic scene from it where a guy who's afraid of reptiles is made to put a, an iguana on his bald head. And as is, <laughs> someone is putting it, he's just like screaming, do it, do it, do it, do it. So I guess he did it. <laughs> yeah, it's just the thing of like, just make it happen. The, le the more time you spend thinking about it, the worse. But yeah, going back to improv, actually, that is one way I guess I've dealt with things. Not so much this last year, because I don't enjoy doing very much online but um by putting yourself out there and on stage particularly in actual shows not just workshops i find that i'm, I'm regularly practicing being a little bit out of my comfort zone yeah it makes things easier in day-to-day -day life because you get that little taste of doing something a bit difficult and overcoming it yeah and i think it's that practice that you need to, to build up that resilience and you also have like positive reinforcement when you do it right when you do improv because people laugh people yeah hopefully yeah. when it goes well <laughs> i think it's also like i'm a millennial and i grew up the age of like you know you get a gold star for things and like having that feedback as an adult and i think I don't know, I spoke to other millennials who said that they can relate to this. It's that thing of somebody goes, especially after a show, when somebody comes up to you and goes, that was really good, I really enjoyed that, which I don't normally get if it's just, I've written, you know, a weekly blog post for somebody else under their name because I do ghostwriting or, you know, basic stuff. Like, it's a bit weird. I wouldn't expect anyone who hires me to be, like, saying every little thing I do is really good, but it's nice just to have that instant feedback on something and, and be like, oh, yeah, I am actually kind of brilliant. Basically, what I'm saying is, can you all just say nice things to me about how amazing and talented I am so that I can get through my massive to-do list. It is hard for work stuff, right? Because even when you know you've done something right and that did what it had to do and maybe sometimes more, what usually happens from a boss figure is that they ask more of you. So they don't necessarily say, oh, great, uh, yeah. you've achieved something great, you're done. No, they will just say, oh, cool, but now do this. <laughs> Yeah, I think I had um, in the past I had quite a good boss who was very good at that, but I was still in the process of working out what my brain was doing and what it was I needed. So one of the ways I try and get around that is to, if I remember anyway, is working on projects and things is to try and set expectations up early so I know when I'm hissing those expectations because mm -hmm. I think that's the other thing that happens. I worry that, oh, maybe I'm not doing the right thing or what's expected of me and I'm not entirely sure. Whereas if you have those set out clearly in advance, it's much easier because basically otherwise your brain goes into overdrive and just starts assuming or at least mine does starts assuming you must be doing a bad job or something's not right and you sabotage yourself yeah talking about expectations and the future is there something coming up in your life for which you will have to be brave well i got well i finally got around to setting up a website or at least getting the domain and everything so for me that's a little bit brave because it's that self-promotion thing mm. i'm putting myself out there and despite having a background in marketing and promoting other people 
it's much harder when it's yourself yep. because that's also me saying I'm now taking myself seriously here is the actual website and I've got to rather than sort of bumbling along I have to I have to put myself out there so that's a bit scary I have a um it's not been well by the time this podcast comes out it might be announced um but I will be running a, a workshop on imposter syndrome with Bristol Improv Theatre. So that's a little bit scary just because it's the longest version I've done. And I'm fully honest with saying I feel like I'm an imposter in recovery or I'm somebody who's got imposter syndrome and in recovery. Yeah, I'm trying to transfer the thing of like, I don't think it's scary anymore. I think it's exciting, but it's got that element of I have to overcome my own insecurities um the negative things my brain says and get over myself basically to uh, put that together and then apart from that it's just all the stuff that's ongoing it's all the different ideas that I've had for months or years that I've just talked about and not put into into action those things I'm not quite ready to say out yeah. loud just yet but in theory, they will come out all on the website so, mm -hmm. and over time. You said something about the Bristol Improv Theatre workshop no longer being something that scares you, but being something that excites yeah. you. And that reminded me, like when I did my UCB level one, I think, in New York, my teacher said something that Amy Poehler uh, says this apparently, which is like when you're going on stage and you feel like the butterfly is in your stomach that's mm -hmm. usually like nervousness and s you being scared and whatever and she frames it as you should think of it not as fear but as excitement because you mm. also feel ex uh, butterflies in your stomach when you're excited yeah it's the same reaction that your body yeah. has and i think that's also one of the things that causes fear is if you're not if you're not good at distinguishing the difference between yeah. the two of them And I guess as someone who's had anxiety for a very long time, I don't always know mm -hmm. when things. I yeah, I just don't always, not always aware yeah. that it's anxiety. And so, yeah, I had the revelation just now as I was thinking. I was like, oh, I'm actually excited about this, not scared or nervous. Yeah. So I think learning to distinguish the two, or just tricking yourself when it is fear, and just be like, no, I'm I refuse excited. to accept it as this. I'm going to be excited about yeah. it. Yeah. And I guess like when you are worried nervous about going on stage framing it as excitement is easier than when it's a, like a bigger thing but yeah I, I feel like well it's all practice exactly. isn't it it's like I said earlier it's like if you can practice it in smaller situations and to be honest a lot of people especially people who don't improvise the idea of going on stage is one of the most terrifying yeah. things they can think of yeah which I always find really funky so like how can you just get up and do that and I go well when I have to do structured presentations I find that a lot more terrifying mm -hmm. people's expectations are different as well and because, yeah it's one of the reasons I love improv it's like well I just have to get up there I've already got everything I can't forget anything can't really go wrong so uh, yeah I always find it funny when people who don't improvise are really impressed by it um because I go ah you don't know a secret it's a lot easier <laughs> Nothing can go wrong. It's just making things up. <laughs> I don't have to do presentation slides or anything. Yeah, exactly. It's true. I have to, whenever I have to do any kind of structured presentation, I get a lot more stressed out, which is why I love things like going on podcasts or um, doing talks where it's essentially being interviewed. I did one of those the other week and initially I thought I'd have to present and then they're like, oh no, it's going to be really chilled out. We'll just, we'll interview you. And I was like, oh my God, I love this. This, I can do it. All the time. That's what I get excited about, I guess, because the expectations both from myself and from the other people are, are different. Yeah, it's easier to get excited when you're not under the weight of expectation. <laughs> yeah. With someone real or fictional, a public figure or just someone from your own life, who you would mention as an example of bravery? That's a really tough question. 
No, there are people that I admire and that who I kind of look to to kind of motivate myself. And one of them is a woman called Debbie Clark, who runs a business called Debbie Duda. And I met her when I moved back to Nottingham and I started networking. And it's really been interesting to see her career progression and her building her business. And so I kind of look at her and be like, oh, you're who I want to be when I grow up. So I guess in that sense, she would be one of those people. But, and this is going to sound so narcissistic, but I got asked not quite the same question, but a similar sort of question. And my answer was myself, just purely because that's what I can relate to myself, clearly. I can look at things I've done and achieved or overcome, and that's what motivates me. Because when you look at other people, you can kind of go, well, they've got this or they've got that, or, you know, you can, it can sometimes seem hard and go, oh, well, they're so much, they're so impressive, or they're, they're really good at this. And using myself as an example, it's like, well, I've already... I know I can do this because I've done it before mm-hmm. or I've done worse before or I've struggled harder before and I've overcome things. Your explanation makes perfect sense because when you're like when you're looking at someone else you can make excuses, right? For yourself mm. that person has more money that me, than me. That person has well, even if a like team of people around them that helps yeah. them. Or they're smarter than me or they're just more skilled or more talented. Uh, whatever it is or more motivated whereas Yeah, it's kind of harder for me to... I can be inspired by them, like I said, Debbie Clark, I'm a big fan of. Um, and again, that works for me because I know her and I've met her and connected with her. So it's easier for me to be inspired by somebody like that rather than like Beyonce. You know, there's that like me that's like, you have the same hours a day as Beyonce has. I'm like, yeah, but still, you know, that's not going to work for me. That's not motivation. Um, whereas if it's... Like I said, myself, it's one I know. And this also works, random trick, uh, absolutely nothing to do with bravery. But um, I think maybe I made this connection when I went to get a haircut after the first lockdown. And I realized instead of taking photos of other people and saying, I want to look like this, I just took photos of myself where I really looked like what my hair looked like. And I went, can you do this? Knowing full well that they could because my hair has done it before and therefore it can do it again. Yeah. So if you, if you need random haircut tips, that's what works. But also it applies to motivating yourself yeah i did have a haircut very recently and that's something that actually scared me for a long time because i grew up having the same hairdresser scared me in like uh you know there's levels of of being scared and your hair grows back so it's not like the end of the world but mm. i've had the same hairdresser all my life in portugal and i never told her what i wanted i'd go there and say i just say like the length of the hair I wanted, if I wanted it short, mid, mid length or long, yeah. and she did whatever she wanted. And because she'd like to do like exciting haircuts that she learned on her latest course, and I'm from a small town, so no one does that exciting haircut, <laughs> she'd do it on me and I was very happy. But she knows my hair since I was three, so she knows how my hair reacts to things. When I moved yeah. here, It was super Change. hard because first I had to make choices of how I wanted my hair to look like, which I never did. Yeah. She did all those choices for me before. And then it's... Yeah, I've, I've come across a lot of hairdressers where I'm sort of like, here are my limits vaguely. Other than that, you can do whatever you want. And they never do anything that exciting. Yeah, I try that because like for... I've been in, in London for seven years and I've mostly went to schools because they're cheap. But they, they can do three haircuts because that's the three haircuts they're learning <laughs> <laughs> so I went the first time to like a proper hairdresser that I want to build a relationship with and give her more freedom but I did tell her this is like the sort of haircut I want this is how my hair works 
and I wanted to have some creative freedom. And she just did what I asked her for. So yeah, I was slightly disappointed. I wanted like something crazy to happen to my hair. Uh, got to, yeah, I don't know where to find those hairdressers, but they've got to be somewhere. It's got to be someone who wants to do that. But that relationship thing is what I have with the woman who does my eyebrows. I'm like, I don't trust anyone else, but she's now moved to another city. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to have to find somebody else. And that's it's my face. Right? Is that city very far away? Can you justify traveling? <laughs> she might be the she might end up becoming the reason I actually finally take my driving test. <laughs> uh, just so that I can get it's not it's not. Yeah. After I moved in the same city, then took it's two bus buses away, basically, to get to hers. And then now it would probably be a very long bus or a train. I don't even know. I've not tried Oh, I'm just panicking now. I'm like, who's going to do my eyebrows? How am I going to get them done? But yeah, I think that's just, it's really weird how we get attached to certain people and certain, and so they like hairdressers or people who do eyebrows or people we go to for specific services. I think I'm very much like that. I don't like change. Once I find somebody or something that I trust, I'm like, all right, I'm going to stick with this. Yeah. Um, unless you do something bad, which is unlikely. I trust you. I know what's going to happen. I'm not going to end up with like half an eyebrow. It's all good. I will stick with this and avoid change because change is scary. Change is scary. Even if it is just getting someone else to do your eyebrows. But you're right. The eyebrows are in your face. So if someone if someone does like a really like out there thing, you'll see it <laughs> yeah, every day. <laughs> I used to go to um, those people who, you know, they're like in shopping centers or in like department stores. And they kind of have sort of stools and stands set up so you kind of just end up in public having your eyebrows done. So I used to go there just because it was quick and easy. So you'd always get somebody different. So you never quite knew and they're paid by the hour rather than by the person. So I'm, I'm thinking back and I'm like, this is a very stupid thing to do. So I ended up with very thin eyebrows. And so that was a point I snapped. I went, I should go to a professional. Yeah. This, is not, this is not good for me anymore. I did like on a not always visible to everyone uh <laughs> aspect of hair removal but i used to <laughs> to like do waxing the hair on like in portugal because it's way cheaper than here uh, everything is cheaper but i did like my bikini line with wax with like a professional and sometimes even if it's someone that you trust they do crazy things like i i never did it like super it was just like the bikini line the bit that's on your leg that's go that goes out of of just oh, tidying up, yeah, just, it uh, just keeping it neat, and sometimes she'd just go too far in or like nearer to my bum, or just that was even though <laughs> it's maybe it's not as pri like, like as personal as intimate, but one day she just decided to do my big toe as well, and I'm like, I have I haven't asked you for that, why are you doing that? So yeah, sometimes even people you trust surprise you in weird ways. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think there we go. That's something I've not been brave enough to deal with going to professional professional waxes to deal with. just no. Well I just no, no. That's all I've got to say on that. Just no, I can't <laughs> the fear is too strong and I'm like, Do you know what? The uh, again, the consequences have never been bad enough for me to want to deal with that. I've just heard nightmare stories before. I had a friend who went to, like, they're an award-winning place, but I've heard some horror stories. They went to a salon, and she had her upper lip wax, and she was getting it done a few days before she had to deliver a big presentation, and apparently they just messed it up, and her face went red. And then they tried to blame her and say, oh, you must have used, you know, the wrong kind of moisturizer or something, and it wasn't, it was them. And so she had to deliver this big presentation with, like, this huge mark on her face that she couldn't cover up. 
and she had to start by basically acknowledging it because she was like i know that everybody's going to be looking at my face that's trust that that salon is never going to get back yeah exactly I, I don't know it's all about change for me and i'm just like changing anything that you do it took me ages to go on the pill even which was basically just to get my periods under control even that because i'd heard so many nightmare stories of people with bad reactions or it affects you know your mental health or your, the way you think and i was like that sounds terrible and then eventually you have to get to the point where you're so uncomfortable that staying still is more is harder for you than change yeah i think so basically just got to the point where i was like all right i'm fed up now i'll just give this a go and i was totally fine don't know what i was worried about but yeah i, don't know. I think i am definitely one of those people i have to find i have to become so uncomfortable that's how i ended up doing therapy my anxiety got so bad those sort of six seven years ago that i just said screw this i'll pay to see somebody because yeah it's not worth this yeah i think that's uh i think about that a lot because i do want to do therapy but i think it's too expensive and then you mm. need to like test like choose someone as, as well right so you have to like yeah. uh, find a person who's ideal for you and it all seems like too much work and i know that it's better if i do it now that my mental health is uh, stable than if i wait for it to get to a point where yeah I need it, so whatever happens now will be what I choose. But yeah. Yeah, I think for me it took um I was like I'm in the position where luckily where I am and the person I see there it's affordable for me. But I always assumed like I don't know where I got this idea from that sessions cost like a hundred pounds an hour or like a hundred and fifty an hour and I was like I don't know why, I just thought that um years ago I was I used to go to like my university's counselling service and stuff, but it just for various reasons it wasn't right for me it didn't work but i think that the final time when i was doing back at uni to do my postgrad and they do this like triage thing where they check and they, they see how you are and because i wasn't a danger to myself or others i was ended up on a very long waiting list and i think the woman who was assessing me basically just saw my face and i was like i can't keep functioning like this uh, she's in the nhs and she goes like you know you could consider going private which i don't think they normally recommend or no one before And so that was the thing that just went, all right, I guess I better do that. And I looked into it and went, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, and I got lucky. The first person I saw was a good match. I went, great. Yeah. I'll stick with you. But that, again, is a, a good story to for people to think, okay, I was putting it off, but you did it like um, on the first try. You got it right. So it's... Yeah. it's uh, um, that happens as well. well it's not yeah, only like it's... the nightmare stories that happened. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. So it worked out well for me. And I think also you can change, you can see yeah. somebody and then you can start seeing somebody else. I don't pay up for it, so that's fine. Um, I can still do that now. I've been seeing this woman for years, but I could decide to try somebody else tomorrow. Um, but it, yeah, it worked for me because she is one of the people, and I think quite a few people do this, where they do like an assessment call where you can chat. To, mm -hmm. It's not a, a session, but you can talk to see if you connect and if you feel like they're right for you. Sometimes it's just starting. Yeah. Just start, do the thing. Don't try to make get it perfect. And I'm saying this to myself as well right now, thinking about all the things on my to-do list. And yeah, there's very few things I look back on and go, oh, I wish I'd waited or I wish I hadn't yeah. done that. I don't know. I guess I speak to a lot of people. I'm like, if you ask yourself those same questions, is there anything that you wish you'd waited to do? Like how many do those outweigh all the things you wish you'd started earlier? That's like a great way to, to end the podcast. A great question for all the listeners to ask themselves but i have one last question for you which is if you want to promote anything oh i'm just going to promote myself because you'll be able to find out all about me there but um yeah my social handles are minda k 
people, I'm sure you'll be able to find them with the info for the podcast. Uh, come find me, come say hello, because I'm always happy to chat to new people. Thank you so much for being a guest on my podcast, Minder. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. You can follow me at, at @marianisbeats on Twitter and Instagram for all dowdy updates. As all podcasts will tell you, all rates and reviews will be super welcome. And do share the podcast with your friends or on your socials. Hashtag DowdyPod. I would also like to know your pics of people who, to you, are examples of bravery. Share them on your reviews or tweet them at me. Huge, huge thank you to Champagne for the podcast jingle and a bunch of other things that are on podcast related. If you've enjoyed listening to Dowdy, have some spare to give, and would like to support me and help me improve on my tech and skills, all tips are welcome through PayPal and Coffee on at Mariana's Beats. I've been Mariana Feijó. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>